So this morning, we're picking up in our series, Jesus uh, Raises the Bar on Promises is the title. The series is called The Way to Life, Uh, and I'm going to read some verses uh, from Matthew chapter 5. There are two passages, and uh, we're going to read both of them. They'll come up on the screen behind me. This is what the Bible says, the Word of God says. This is Jesus speaking. It was also said... Whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. A fun reading, isn't it? Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you... Don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it's God's throne, or by earth, because it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair uh, white or black, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. We've been looking at these last few weeks at some really challenging passages. Last week we were talking about Jesus raising the bar on sex and lust. Today, Jesus raises the bar on promises. You see, Jesus promised that he had come that we might have life and have it to the full. That's what it says in John, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is helping us as his followers catch his Father's heart for the way to life. Jesus doesn't encourage us to keep external rules and regulations without ever really dealing with the heart issues. Now, uh, some uh, time ago, uh, it was before the, uh, before the winter, Annie uh, uh, was, she's really passionate about gardening. She loves gardening. It's uh, one of her great passions. And um, she uh, was concerned. She was looking at the lawn. Uh, our lawn was, when you cut it, it looked fine. It looked fine. Um, but uh, when uh, you look closely under the you see it grew very quickly, you see it was full of moss and weeds and uh, uh, daisies. And so you cut the lawn, you could make it look fine for a while. So then Annie decided she was going to. So I came back one day and she had scarified the lawn. Basically, she had she'd taken up, she'd taken all the moss out, and it literally looked like uh, I mean, that is uh, that's an image of Passchendaele. It looked like the Somme. It looked like. It looked like it was just mud everywhere. It looked awful. I came home and I said, oh my word, what have you done? And she said, I've scarified the lawn. I you know, need to deal with the root issues, need to get rid of the moss and the weeds. And so what's subsequently happened is that she's sowed grass seed. She's, uh, uh, she's water, been watering the lawn. And now it is a different picture. She dealt with the root issue. She dealt with the moss and the weeds. And, and what Jesus is saying to us in the Sermon on the Mount is, in, in the last weeks, he's been, he's been wanting to deal with root issues. He's not just wanted to deal with surface issues, just not wanted to cut the grass, just cut it so it looks neat and tidy for the moment. So he's wanted to deal with more than just issues of, of murder, and 
adultery. He's wanted to deal with the root issues. He's wanted to get to the root issues, and he's wanted to deal with the issues of the heart, anger, and lust. And today is no different. Jesus wants to deal with the root issues. And so the passage that we've read, you might think that those two passages have nothing in common. I want to suggest to you that they have something uh, in common. There's a common thread that runs through them. And the common thread is this, is that we as his people, the people of God, the people he's called us to be, should keep our promises. Jesus raises the bar on promises. He never lowers the bar, he raises the bar. And the bedrock of every church community and Christian relationship, especially marriage, is our commitment to each other. And our commitment is, is demonstrated as, as we express promises, pledges, vows, assurances, commitments. And the really sad thing is that we live in a world of broken promises. Who said this? If you wish to be a success in the world, promise everything, deliver nothing. If you wish to be a success in the world, promise everything, deliver nothing. Was it Tesco? Was it Amazon? Who said that? Anyone know? It was Napoleon. If you want to be a success in the world, promise everything, make great promises, deliver nothing. Jonathan Swift, the author of Gulliver's Travels, said this, promises and pie crusts are there to be broken, made to be broken. Is that true? Promises are made to be broken. You see, we make all sorts of promises, but we don't often keep them. I'll love you forever. I'll pay you back. I'll come and back and fix that later. How many times have we heard that? I'll come back and I'll fix that later. Don't worry, I'll do it later. How many times have I said that to Annie? And it's still waiting to be done. You see, our excuse is sometimes we forget what we've promised. I remember when I started working in the council in Fareham, my, my first week, I made an appointment in the diary at a meeting on site to meet someone on site to discuss something, and I forgot. I forgot to go. They rang the office to find out where I was. I was sitting at my desk. I just forgot. I made the appointment, and I forgot it. All too often, that's our excuse. We forget that we've made a promise. Sometimes we don't fully appreciate exactly what we're promising. So some time ago, uh, uh, many years ago, in fact, I was asked to be a godparent. I don't come from an Anglican background. I had no idea what it was all about. I just sort of went, yeah, yeah, sure. I had no idea what the expectations or their expectations of, uh, of me being a godparent, it, it didn't mean anything to me. And sometimes we... We don't think about the things that we say. We make promises, but they, they don't really mean anything to us because we don't really understand them. 
Yet most of the time we don't keep our word because circumstances change, something better comes along, or we realize we're going to be worse off as a result of us doing what we've promised. You see, we live in a world that is shaped by broken promises. Promises are easily made, easily broken. And we become increasingly skeptical. And so people go further and further, uh, uh, promising more and more in an attempt to convince us, saying more and more things. So uh, ex-minister, I don't know if you remember the story, Gavin Williamson was a, a member of the cabinet, Theresa May's cabinet. He swore on his children's lives that he didn't leak Security Council information. Swore on his children's lives just to try and prove the point that he didn't do it. No one believed him. His word counted for little. What about our word? What about when we say something? Do people believe us? You see, Jesus focused on two areas. Firstly, the promises that we make in marriage. And secondly, vows that we make. General vows that we make. And in Jesus' day, these things were very real issues. And we're going to see as we unpack this morning. These were very real issues in Jesus' world. The world that Jesus lived in. Let me give you one example. The, light, the night, the very night before he's about to be crucified, he knows what's coming and he's with his disciples. They're having a meal together. And Jesus tells them that he's, uh, he's uh, he tells them some of what's going to happen. He tells them that uh, he's uh, about to be, uh, uh, he's about to suffer and die. And he says to them, you're going to abandon me. And the disciples all say, no, no, no. Peter particularly stands up and, and he swears that he will never abandon Jesus. Everybody else in the room might abandon you, but I won't, Jesus. I won't let. Jesus says, Peter, before the cock crows three times, you'll deny me. Peter swears, no, Jesus. He says, on my life, I won't do it. Then Jesus is arrested. Everything falls apart. The disciples run. Peter follows at a distance as Jesus is being taken to the high priest's house. And uh, as he, Jesus is in the high, priest, high priest's property, Peter sneaks into the courtyard. There's a, a crowd around a fire and Peter is just hanging around on the fringes in the shadows and then he gets challenged. You were with him, weren't you? And Peter goes, no, 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 I wasn't. Someone else says, Peter, yeah, I'm sure you're one of his followers. No, no, no. And the third time, someone confronts him and says, I, you, were, you were one of his, you're one of Jesus' followers, I can tell by your accent. And Peter, he calls down curses on himself to try and demonstrate that he was telling the truth that he didn't know Jesus. And he was lying. The world is full of broken promises, full of people who break promises, people like us. But God keeps his promises. Dio Moody said this, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. God keeps his word. 
One of God's attributes is that he is faithful, he's trustworthy, he's dependable. He is the faithful God, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. He doesn't have to work at it. He doesn't have to try hard to be faithful. He is always faithful. He never changes, Malachi tells us. He is faithful to all his promises. This is what it says in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56. Not one word has failed of all the good promises that he gave. Not one word of God's good promises has ever failed. That is good news this morning. God never breaks his word. Nothing has, can, or ever will stop him being faithful. As Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And the evidence of God's faithfulness is all around us in creation. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord. The heavens were made by God speaking. God spoke this universe into being, spoke our world into being. This is what God promises in Genesis chapter 8. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will not cease. This earth, this universe declares the faithfulness of God every day. Every day. It is no cosmic accident. This world was created by a faithful, loving God. We see his faithfulness, God's faithfulness throughout the course of history. In Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, I, God promised through Isaiah, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son and name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's what God promised. 700 years later, Paul writes to the Galatians describing the birth of Jesus like this. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. God with us. God fulfilled his promise. God fulfilled his promises. God's promises are a secure foundation on which you can build your life. We can build our lives on God's promises. This is why the Bible is so important to us. It's why we, it's why we read it. It's why we believe what God says in it. It's why we apply it to our lives. It is the inspired authoritative word of God and it contains many rich and precious promises for us and we can put our faith on what he says here are a couple that I personally know are true they've been true in my life therefore this is what it says in Romans 8 chapter 8 Romans 8 1 therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus Therefore, because of what Jesus did on the cross, there is now no condemnation. You don't need to feel guilty. You don't need to feel shame. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, whatever mistakes you've made, whatever you've done wrong, there is now no condemnation. I tell you, I live in the light of that every day. I made such a mess of my life in my 20s, early 20s. 
But I live in the truth of that. There's now no condemnation. I don't wake up in the morning thinking, oh, gosh, God, I hope God has forgotten what I did then. There's no condemnation because I'm clean, I'm washed clean. Jesus died for me, took the punishment for me that I might be, have a relationship with a loving Heavenly Father. Here's the, the second one. Listen to this. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, for you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. What an amazing promise that I am a son of God. I have a father in heaven. God promised me many years ago when my dad died, he said, I'll be a father to you. I want to tell you, over all these years, God has been a father to me. He has been faithful and true. I may not have had everything I've ever wanted, but he's faithful. He's been faithful to me. He's been faithful to every promise he's made. And I know that he is my heavenly father and he loves me and he loves you. How amazing is that? He is faithful to what he says. God keeps his promises. But more than that, God expects us to keep our promises. So when we put our trust in all that Jesus has won for us on the cross, when he died in our place, we become part of the family of God. We become part of God's people as we were hearing earlier. God becomes our father. And he expects us to bear the family likeness, to show the family likeness, to be sons of our father. Paul says a similar sort of thing. He says that we're to be Christ's ambassadors to the church in Corinth. We're to be God's representatives. And so wherever we go, we represent God. God wants us to speak on his behalf to the people around us. So what we say, our words and the things that we say matter. And if God is faithful with what he says, he wants us to be a people who are faithful in what we say. And there are two specific areas that Jesus focuses on. The first one is this, is in marriage. Marriage is a God idea. It's not an idea created by this world. It's God's idea. It's a gift from God in which a man and a woman become as one person. The Bible tells us that marriage mysteriously reflects something of, uh, of our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. It also says that marriage is a covenant. It's not a word. Covenant is not a word that we use very much in today's society. But in the Bible, it's a really important word. It's used over 330 times, the word covenant. It has a profound meaning. It's more than a legally binding contract. I'll do this for you if you do that for me. We all understand contracts. That isn't what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about a marriage covenant. It's not talking like that at all. A covenant is one-sided. I promise to do this for you, whatever you do for me. I will do it for me, for this for you if you never do anything for me. That is a covenant. Completely different to a contract. And so as Christians in marriage, we make promises to and before God because we're doing it before God as our witness. We're making promises, our covenant promises to our partner. 
We're making promises like this. This is what we say. To love them, comfort them, honor and protect them, and forsaking all others, be faithful to them as long as we both shall live. These are lifelong promises that we're making. They're covenant promises. They're not contractual promises. I promise to do that as long as you do the same to me. They're covenantal promises. Jesus is reminding us of the seriousness of our wedding vows. The religious people of the day were allowing divorce for any and every reason, just like today. Malachi tells us God hates divorce, even though God allows for it in certain circumstances. And we read Jesus talking about marital unfaithfulness. But see, the thing is, divorce wreaks havoc, and many of us have experienced firsthand the pain it causes. Maybe we have been in it and come out of a broken relationship, and we know the pain of that. Maybe we've grown up or grew up in a home that there was a breakdown in relationship. Maybe we know the pain of that. We grew up in the pain of that. Maybe it's a very raw issue for us at this moment in time. The evidence of this is all around us in the world we live in. Broken relationships, broken promises. I'm not going to spend much, uh, I'm not going to focus too much on talking about this particular issue because I preached on it just before Christmas in October of last year in our series from Malachi. You can listen to it online. It's entitled, God Speaks of His Faithfulness. If you need to listen to what we believe as a church about divorce and remarriage, you can listen to that online. But God is really interested in the words that we say, our promises we make. And the second thing Jesus talks about is making vows. We all do it. I swear it's true. On my life, as God is my witness... How often do we use phrases like that to give what we say, our word, extra weight as if somehow that uh, will convince people? And you see, in Jesus' day, people swore on all sorts of things, the heavens above and the earth beneath. Jesus simply says we should let our yes be yes and our no be no. He isn't saying that we, there aren't moments where legally we shouldn't take oaths like in courts of law. He's not saying that at all because there are moments where Jesus, before Caiaphas, responds uh, responds to uh, a challenge about an oath. So Jesus isn't saying, but he's saying our word should be reliable. What we say should be true. We should keep to our word. Our word should carry the same weight as our signature does on a legal document. Who signs a contract before ever reading the small print? Have you ever done that? Have you ever signed a contract, signed something and and thought, well, maybe I should have read what what I signed? Have you ever done that? I have. And afterwards I'm thinking, oh no, what did I sign? What does it say? I better check what I've just signed. When you're going to sign a contract, when you're going to put your name to something, you know you're legally bound to it. Our word should carry the same weight. But there's no 14-day cooling off period with that. It's not like a signing a contract. So I've, I've watched people get caught. I had a friend many years ago who uh, someone came to them and they said, uh, 
I want to talk to you. I'm really bothered about something. I, I just need to, I, I, I just want to share something. But will you, I don't want you to repeat it to anyone. And they, without thinking, just said yes. And this person then, then laid on them, they unpacked all of the stuff that they were carrying, and this person had promised to keep it confidential. And I remember them ringing me up and saying, I don't know what to do, Steve. I feel burdened by this. They've walked away free, but I'm the one that's, I feel like I'm carrying this. They'd given their word. They didn't feel they could break it. And I said, you need to go back to them and you need to say, I can't, you need to explain to them, I can't carry this anymore. You need to go and talk to Steve about it because if you don't, I'm going to tell him. I can't carry, this is not right. But made a promise, foolish promise without thinking about it. Promise to be confident. You won't, you won't find me making a promise. to be. If you come to me and say, Steve, I'm going to tell you this, but I don't want you to tell anybody else. I'm going to say it depends what it is. It depends what it is. I'm, I'm not going to make that promise to you. Does that mean that I don't keep confidences? No. It doesn't mean that at all, but I'm not going to make a promise I can't keep. I'm going to try really hard not to do that. I remember someone once in church coming up to me, uh, not in this church, but in, a, in the church I was in previously, and someone coming up, be, just been preaching on a Sunday, and someone comes up to me at the end of the preaching and says, Steve, is it okay if we do this? I, and I'm going, ah, well, I, um, sorry, I have my head's in. No, no, I just need to know, I need to know now, I need to know pressure. And I was feeling pressure, pressure, pressure. And I just went, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's okay. And then it all went south. It all went Pete Tong. It all went wrong. And when the moment happened, they said, oh, it's okay, Steve. Steve said it was okay. I'm thinking, you never told me that that was the consequence. You never explained to me. I never asked. It was my responsibility. I said it was okay. Our word matters. We need to think before we promise. You see, if we give our word, we should keep it or ask to be released from the commitment, because, because if, we, if we break our promise, we dishonor God. Our word matters. You see, Jesus speaks into these two areas because they're not easy. He's speaking into a world full of broken people, people like us. And in raising the bar, he's not trying to crush us. Rather, in his grace, he's providing a way out. And we're going to just... As we draw to a close in these next 10 minutes, we're going to look at God's antidote for broken promises. Henri Nouwen was a, a, a writer. He's actually a, a, a spirit-filled Catholic, and this is what he said. He said, our life is full of brokenness. Broken relationships, broken promises, broken expectations. How can we live without brokenness without becoming bitter and resentful except by returning again and again to God's faithful presence in our lives? You know, all of us know something of the pain of broken promises. And yet all of us at some point have broken promises that we've made. Broken promises destroy trust. And there's only one antidote. There's only one antidote. Trusting someone 
who will never break their word. No partner, no future partner, no parent, no friend, no boss or work colleague, politician, doctor, church leader can ever reach that bar. There is only one we can trust. God. And even when we break our promises to him and are faithless, Timothy tells us that he remains faithful. And we come to God our Father through Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews says this, By his death, Jesus opened a new and living way. Let us go right into the presence of God. Let us go right into God's presence, God's holy presence. We go with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Through Jesus, we have the antidote to broken promises. We have the antidote. Forgiveness. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. To cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You see, broken promises are not unforgivable. Broken promises are not unforgivable. The Bible is full of examples of people who God has restored after they broke their promise. We read of Jesus meeting a woman at a well. As he's talking to her, he confronts her, he says, go get your husband. She says, I have no husband. He says, you're right, you have no husband because you've had five and the one man you're living with is not your husband. He doesn't say, you broke your word, you broke your marriage vows, you're written off, you're finished. Jesus graciously restores her so that at the end she runs to a village and her life is transformed. She says, come and meet a man who, who told me everything I ever did. He's changed my life. They were so impacted by the change they saw in this woman, the whole town comes out to meet him. There's a woman who's been caught in the very act of adultery. The very act of adultery. She's caught, she's brought to Jesus. The religious leaders are looking for her to be stoned. They're testing him. Jesus is riding on the ground, just kneels down riding on the ground. And he looks up and he says, let him who's without sin throw the first stone. And then one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, because the oldest realized straight away they were in trouble, walked away. Until in the end there's no one left and just this woman is standing before him with her guilt and her shame. It was true. It wasn't a lie. She'd been caught in the very act. Jesus looks up, is there anyone there who condemns you? Anyone there? She says, no, no one. And he says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Whatever you've done, there is 
forgiveness. Whatever promises you've broken, there's forgiveness. You can know that. We read of John Mark who promised to go with Barnabas and Paul on one of their, their first missionary trip, and they get to a place called Perga, and, and it gets a bit tough, and John Mark cuts and runs and goes home, and he blows it, breaks his word. And when Paul and Barnabas are about to go on their, their second trip, their second missionary trip, we read Barnabas wants to take John Mark, and, and Paul doesn't want to take him because they let, they, he let them down. And so they have a falling out, and Paul and Barnabas go different ways. But at the end of Paul's life, we read Paul writing in some of his letters. He talks about John Mark, and he talks about him being important to him and useful to him. This guy has been restored. He wasn't finished. He wasn't written off. It wasn't the end of the game. You may feel that you've blown it and missed it. I want to tell you, you're not at the end game. It's not the end of the game. God's got more for you. There's forgiveness for you. We read of Peter, how Peter blew it all and Jesus beautifully restores him on the beach. There's forgiveness. There's healing. For those who feel you can't trust anyone ever again, Ernest Hemingway, a secular author, said this, the only way to know if you can trust somebody is to trust them. There's only one way. You need to know who you're trusting. I'm not encouraging you to put your trust in another human being. I'm asking you to put your trust in the Son of God, who was both man and God. He never breaks his word. We need to think about him, who we're trusting. Jesus knew what it was to be let down by people, by those closest to him. He knew what it was to feel abandoned. He knew what it was to hang on a cross for us in our place before a holy God and cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew what it was to carry the punishment for our sins, separation from God. He did that. He suffered rejection and abandonment that we might never have to. None of us need ever feel like that because Jesus is the answer. You see, only by trusting Jesus can we find emotional healing. He enables us to draw near to a heavenly Father who will never leave us or forsake us. There's forgiveness, there's healing, there's patience and encouragement. God gives us patience and encouragement. He wants to encourage us and give us, help us with patience to enable us to keep our word. God enables us and helps us to trust him. In Romans 15, it says this in the New Living Translation. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. We need patience. God fills promises in his own time, not our timekeeping. We get frustrated. Oh, why isn't God doing that? It's not happening for me. Oh, it's not fair. It's not right. God fulfills his promises in his own time, in his own way. We wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. May God, who gives us this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with one another as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ, people who keep their word.
God gives us wisdom as well to help us not be rash. He gives us the gift of His Spirit to help us, to be a check on us, to make sure that we don't promise things that we can't deliver. The Holy Spirit helps us. Today on Pentecost, we, we, we remember on Pentecost Sunday that the Holy Spirit came, but actually it came on a day so that we might receive the Holy Spirit every day. The Holy Spirit is available for you as a follower of Jesus Christ to know God's presence with you. He will help us. You see, so the antidote to broken promises is only found through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Grace enables us to encounter a God who will never let us down. Never let us down. God will never let you down. I want to finish with what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let this sink into your spirits. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you doesn't waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, doesn't waver between yes and no. As God's ultimate yes, He always does what He says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Let's stand in God's presence. The band are going to come up and we're going to sing a song in a moment as we draw to a close that just expresses something of the faithfulness of God. Father, we open our hearts to you right now. We say, come and meet with us, faithful God, unchanging one, the God who never breaks his word, always keeps his word. Come and meet with us by your spirit right now. Holy Spirit, for those who know what it is to be broken and know what it is to have people make promises that have not been kept over them, Come and minister, bring healing right now as we worship you. For those who feel, carry the burden of broken promises, that promises they've made which they've broken, come, bring forgiveness. May they receive, may they know they're forgiven. May they know there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, right now, why don't you just open your eyes hands out. Holy Spirit, come right now. Come right now. Touch hearts. Touch lives. Set captives free.